Well, today is our fourth message in the series that we call Divine Misunderstandings. Uh, the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day had some big-time misunderstandings uh, about some real important issues. Actually, the truth was they twisted what God meant by quoting what God said. Jesus wanted to set the record straight. So in Matthew chapter 5, he talked about six issues in particular. You've seen these murder, adultery, swearing oaths, marriage and divorce, revenge, love and hate. Today we're going to look at what Jesus said was misunderstood about the teachings about marriage and divorce. Now, before anyone bolts out of the service today, because this topic makes you feel uncomfortable, let me assure you of something. My message today is not going to be focused on what you might think it's going to be focused on. Nobody's here today to be shamed or confused or condemned or excused. I'm not going to lay down the law. That's not my job. I'm just going to try to tell you what Jesus really said. All right? You with me? Before I do, I want to read something to you that's really quite entertaining. It's very interesting, at least. It reveals the infinite wisdom of that famous actress, Elizabeth Taylor, on the subject of marriage. <laughs> Ready? Here goes. Following her wedding to Conrad Hilton in 1950, Elizabeth Taylor said, <clears throat> your heart knows when you meet the right man. There's no doubt Nikki is the one I will spend my life with. Two years later, following her wedding to Michael Wilding in 1952, she said, I just want to be with Michael to be his wife. This for me is the beginning of a happy end. Five years later, after her marriage to Mike Todd in 1957, she said, I've given him my eternal love and this marriage will last forever. Two years later, following her wedding to Eddie Fisher in 1959, she said, I've never been happier in my life. We will be on our honeymoon for 20 to 30 years. Then, following her wedding to Richard Burton in 1964, she said, I'm so happy you can't believe it. I love him enough to stand by him no matter what he might do. Then, following her second marriage to Richard Burton in 1975, there will be no more marriages and divorces. We are stuck like chicken feathers to tar. One year later, after her wedding to John Warner in 1976, John is the best love I've ever had. I will spend the rest of my life with him, and I want to be buried with him. In November of 1990, Elizabeth Taylor said, I don't think I'll ever get married again. Ten months later, she married Larry Fortinsky. They threw minute rice at the reception. <laughs> Following the wedding, she said, I look at marriages like movie scripts. I go into it hoping it's going to be a hit, knowing it may turn out to be a dud. There's something funny about that, but there's something even sadder about that. Elizabeth Taylor actually said a whole lot in that last quote. 
Did you know, this, this, this blew my mind when I heard this. Statistics, Shay, I'm, I'm talking 2017 statistics. Say that 40% of Americans under 35 years old think marriage is obsolete. Did you hear that? By the way, if you're under 35, did you hear that? 40% of Americans under 35 years old think marriage is obsolete. So this morning, we're going to look at some of the most difficult teachings of Jesus in the Scripture. His teaching about marriage and divorce. Now, I am well aware that there are many people in this morning that have experienced divorce personally. You've either had your own failed marriage or divorced parents or divorced siblings or divorced children or you're the children of divorced parents. I understand that. I, I'm aware that in many cases God showed you mercy and grace and so that even though your previous marriage or marriages fell apart, your present marriage is a real blessing and I rejoice with that. Isn't that what God does? <laughs> He steps into the messes we create sometimes, and he heals what we've broken. He does that in every part of our life. It's not limited to just divorce. His grace covers everything, everything we've talked about in this series, from lying to deceiving to thieving to adultery to addiction to murder, anything. God's grace can cover and change. I'm less than, six, uh, less than a month away from being 63 years old. And I have seen a lot of divorce in my life. But I can't think of one instance where the divorce was anything but an awful experience. I don't think about divorce as a piece of paper called a divorce decree. I don't think about it as a court proceeding that terminates the legal status of a marriage. Divorce is the dissolution of a love relationship that began with both partners promising and believing that they would be married for the rest of their lives. Folks, I've done hundreds of weddings. And, and when I come to the part where I say, do you, John Doe, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise before God and these witnesses to cleave only unto her, to love, honor, and cherish her, and be a true and faithful husband as long as you both shall live? I've yet to hear someone say, I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> I'll try. Well, I'll, I guess so. I hope so. No. No. I, at the wedding altar, hope springs eternal. I'm serious. Outside of Hollywood, everybody I know that gets married really intends on it being a lifelong commitment. I really believe that with all my heart. And that's what I've seen before. But here's what happens Problems come along, and people sometimes don't know what to do about problems. They don't know where to take those problems. And, and the, the idea to, quick, get out, is the most obvious solution to them. I see that. I understand how that happens. You see, the pain of divorce begins a long time before a divorce decree ever is issued. It's the breakdown of the marriage. It's the hurt. It's the disappointment, it's the lack of respect, it's the cheating or the lying or the anger that makes a divorce an awful experience. It's not the proceeding in court. That's why the prophet Malachi wrote this. Look at this. God, not you, made marriage. 
His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. What does he want from marriage? Children of God. That's what. So guard, guard the spirit of your marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. The God of angel armies says, I hate the violent dismembering of one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. That's from the Message Bible, and that says it well. Notice that God didn't say, I hate divorcees. Do you notice that? He didn't say he hated people. He said, I hate what goes on in a couple's life when my own dream, God says, for them, my own vision for their future crumbles. And so today, what I hope to do in just this brief time is share with you what Jesus did. He showed you the heart of the Father. So here's our main text that we read today out of Matthew 5 in our series. Here goes. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Woo! In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was taking on this permissive uh, arrogance of religious leaders of the Jews who reduced the commands of God to just checking the right boxes, you see. You know, we saw that in the last three sermons. As long as you hadn't killed somebody, had sex outside of marriage, or told a bold-faced lie, you're okay. You're, you're, you're pure. But Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sin begins in the heart. So if you're angry, if you lust, if you have a loophole to avoid telling the whole truth, you've already violated the heart of God. So it's in that context that Jesus makes the statement that I just read to you about divorce. Jesus took on a very popular teaching of his day. Now listen carefully. And that teaching said to men, if you want to divorce your wife, be sure you give her the right form first. Make sure you give her the right piece of paper, a divorce notice. And then it'll all be done, it'll be hunky-dory, and you can move on with your life. No big deal. That was a total corruption of what God said in Deuteronomy about divorce. Let, let me read to you what Deuteronomy 24.1 says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he should write her a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and send her from his house. Now that's what the Old Testament said. That's how the Pharisees got the idea of, if you want to get rid of your wife, be sure you give her the piece of paper that sets her free. Now, everything hinges on, put that verse back up, if you would, just for a second. <coughs> everything impinge, uh, uh, hinges on that word displeasing and indecent. You see that? See, there were, there were two schools of rabbis, even during the days of Jesus. There was the school of Hillel. And they believed that that meant if you don't like her chicken soup, if you don't like her wrinkles, if you don't like her gray hair, if you don't like uh, the fact maybe she doesn't have sex with you enough, you can get rid of her. Then there was this school of Shammai, and they said, oh no, it just means proven adultery. 
Now, that, that was the dilemma that Joseph faced when Mary was pregnant. Remember, the Bible says he considered whether he should put her away with divorce paper. They weren't even married yet. In biblical times, listen carefully, women did not have the same rights as a man. Wives couldn't divorce their husbands, but many husbands thought they could just get rid of their wives for whatever reason they wanted. In fact, the school of Hillel, which was the school of the guy who said you can divorce your wife for any reason if she becomes displeasing to you, that was the popular teaching in the time of Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. And Jesus definitely agreed with Shammai and not Hillel on that thing. You see, women were left in a very vulnerable spot if he kicked her out of the house. If she just got kicked out of the house for any reason, she would be on her own and she couldn't remarry and move on because she was still, quote, legally married. He just kicked her out of the house. And if she did marry, then everybody would call her an adulteress. That's why Jesus said that. If you, if you divorce your wife, you make her leave, you turn her into an adulteress. So Moses required men who kicked their women out of, the, out of the house to give them a paper saying, you are free to move on with your life. And they could eventually remarry without being considered unfaithful. Does that make sense? That writ of divorce was a guy saying, I set you free, I'm not going to hold you anymore and let you move on with your own life. Now that was just the innocent woman. If she was unfaithful to him for some reason, he could send her away with or without a divorce paper. He could have her stoned to death. Or he could keep her as wife and reconcile with her if he chose. Now that's what it was in the scripture. That's, that, that whole thing Jesus said was in that context. Jesus said more about it in Matthew 19 and it would not be fair if I didn't show you that. Okay, so let's look at that real quick. Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Do you see that? Haven't you read, he replied, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God is doing together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. <laughs> that puts a new thing on it, doesn't it? But this was not the way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality in order to marry another woman commits adultery. Jesus just went to the heart of the matter. They had twisted the scripture to their own advantage. Do you see how important God thinks that a pure, faithful, wholesome marriage is? There's no denying that. He does allow divorce when one or both partners get hard-hearted. But that was not God's original desire at all. That's not his will. I got something to show you. Uh, pardon me, I've... I'm not going to eat a sandwich here in front of you, but I'm going to show you an illustration, okay? Okay, this is really weird, but I've got some Play-Doh up here. And this blue Play-Doh is a man Play-Doh, and this pink one is a woman Play-Doh, okay? The Bible says that when two people are married, 
they become one. All right? And so they've been married one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years, ten years, and then they decide to get a divorce. Let me ask you a question. How easy is that going to be to separate it? How easy is it going to be to separate that marriage? How easy? It's not going to be easy at all. In fact, it's going to tear. It's going to hurt. It's going to cause all kind of issues. And I don't care if anybody says, oh, this will be nice and clean and easy. There's no such thing as nice and clean and easy. Because the truth is, the longer you are married to one another, God wants that marriage to eventually become just purple. Just mix it up until it becomes just purple. I love Play-Doh. <laughs> when a marriage is in trouble, it only takes one half of the marriage to tear it apart. No such thing as a no-fault divorce, sorry. No such thing as a nice, tidy divorce. It tears apart couples, families, children's, children, churches, and lives. God's desire for us is a great marriage, not a painful divorce. Now, I'm not going to spend my time this morning splitting hairs over what is or what isn't the real biblical reason for divorce, who qualifies as a legit circumstance. Jesus plainly admitted that divorce happens. Not because it's God's will, but because one or both members cannot remain either sexually faithful or one abandons or endangers the other one. In those cases, divorces occur. But they're not commanded to occur. Divorce is not commanded, it's permitted in certain circumstances. But God knows the heart of what that circumstance really is. I've got some shocking news for you this morning. I've got some shocking news. God himself has experienced the dilemma of divorce. Read Jeremiah 3.8 with me. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yes, he did. God tried and tried to avoid it. But his chosen people, Israel, continued to be unfaithful over and over. And he wrote them a divorce paper. That's what it said. But apparently he didn't file it in the court of heaven. Because <laughs> look at what happens. That was verse 8. Look at verse 12. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will frown on you no longer. I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. That is so awesome to me. God had the right to divorce Israel, but he chose not to. Because divorce is not required. If your spouse has committed adultery, Divorce, yeah, is morally allowed, but it's not required. There are many that have rebuilt their marriages even after a devastating blow of unfaithfulness. And for those of you that have been able to rebuild your marriage and, 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 and put your family back together, I just want to say hallelujah, and, and I salute you. You're incredible. You're doing what God does. I celebrate you. 
A recent study of divorced couples shows, listen to this, that one year after divorce, listen to this, this is divorced couples, one year after divorce, 60% of men and 73% of women feel they made a mistake and should have tried harder to make their marriages work. I'm sorry, those are not small percentages. Yes, sometimes divorce is necessary, sometimes it's unavoidable, but many times it is not, and people get in a hurry. <laughs> they just get in a hurry. There's this knee-jerk reaction to any of us that says, when things get tough, run! Not long ago, I spoke with a divorced mom who shared her experience with me. Her husband had been unfaithful to her and had wounded her greatly. He begged for another chance. She refused. She told me she was bent on punishing him for hurting her and too stubborn to forgive him. She told the story of her husband's betrayal with everybody she met, never realizing she wasn't punishing him with her bitterness. She was punishing herself and her children. And her regret was deeply felt. In contrast, there's nothing more beautiful than a story of forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption of a broken marriage. It's not only possible, it's God's best outcome. I've seen a lot of those too, and it's incredible. It is. There's a fabulous story in the, in the Bible that I think illustrates what I'm talking about today better than any. Jesus, when he was constantly proclaiming God's unconditional love for broken people, he had to be thinking of the prophet Hosea. He had to be. In the story, it's this. Hosea had married a lady named Gomer. Not Gomer like Gomer Pyle, but Gomer. Sounds a little more ooh-la-la. She had actually been a prostitute as a young girl. But Hosea had rescued her and wooed her and loved her for his own. He married her. He gave her two sons. Who he provided for her. He was the only man in her life who sought to love her unconditionally. He was the best man she ever knew. And yet, in spite of all of that, she went back into her life of adultery and prostitution. Something inside of me just wants to scream when I think about that. How could she be? so blind or ungrateful how could she turn away from a good man who had rescued her but then Hosea does something that flies in the face of what we expect him to do and what is logical Hosea listened to God who said to him go back and love her again love her as I have loved my people Israel listen to this love her the same way I love my people Israel so, he went and bought her out of sex slavery with a high price. He actually had to do it twice before she could realize the real love her husband had for her. Hosea is like God. He redeems broken people in broken situations. He says to the unlovable, you are loved. The story of Gomer and Hosea is a metaphor that God used to demonstrate his desire to restore broken people and broken marriages. 
Yes, God hates unfaithfulness and he hates the pain it causes, but he loves to pursue us. He loves those he loves desperately. He does. He knows we've all committed spiritual adultery sometime in our life, have we not? Haven't we all chased after other gods? Haven't we all had things that stood between us and God that took our love from God away? Yes, we all have, 100% of us. So we all deserve a divorce decree from God, but he loves us more than what we deserve. He yearns for us to be restored to purity and to be restored to the family table. God is in a constant battle for us. He's jealous for us. Our commitment to God is not open to other gods. It requires our total commitment, and he will fight for us to the very end. He wants more than anything to remove our sin and embrace us and cherish us with his forgiveness and his love. Oh, I know this is a sensitive thing to many people that sit in the room today. I know that. Some of you probably ended up with a divorce because you just really at the time did not know what to do. I understand that. God understands that. But you don't need to feel alone because we all have experienced the pain of feeling like we're separated from God. Rejected for what we've done and we don't know what to do about it. Everybody in this room has known what that feels like. You ever felt separated from God? Even if it had nothing to do with marriage or divorce, haven't you felt like that what you've done before has separated you from God? Look, the religious leaders of Jesus' days, I'm going back to the beginning, looked for reasons to divorce. They thought a piece of paper just absolved them from guilt. They represented God's voice to the people. And it echoed this lie to the people that said, God seeks a divorce from all you wicked sinners. God doesn't like you. But that is not true. That is not true at all. Actually, Jesus shows us this. Read this with me. Divorce can hurt people as much as adultery and unfaithfulness does. Did you hear that? Divorce, the reaction can sometimes hurt as much as the violation itself. Jesus sets it straight. God does not want a divorce from you or me. He wants to be in relationship with us, in covenant with us. He wants you to be in his house, at his table, with his family. That's the truth, folks. That's the truth. Statistics show, I know I'm all in statistics today, aren't I? I, I almost failed the course in college called statistics. It was awful. Paige, it was awful, wasn't it? She knows what I mean. <laughs> Statistics show that when a married couple are, act, listen to this, are active together in the same church, they have a 50 time greater chance of avoiding divorce than the rest of the population. That is amazing. Now, I didn't say twice the chance. I didn't say 10 times. 50 times the chance of avoiding divorce if a couple is active in the same church together. Life is better together, isn't it? 
Okay, today, I'm sort of early. I thought this was going to take me forever to get through. Man. Today, there are two important thoughts I want you to remember, okay? I, I want to give you two thoughts and ask you two questions. Thought number one. God does not want a divorce from you no matter what you've done. <laughs> Do you hear that? I, I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. <laughs> God does not want to. Sometimes we picture God as the God with the big hammer that is just waiting for you to violate it. I'm it's like God is checking our texts, checking our phone records, checking our emails. He's following us around. He hired, he hired a couple of angels to follow us around. God does not want a divorce from you, no matter what you've done. My, does, that, does that sink in? Number two, God wants you to treat others, especially your spouse, the same way God has treated you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so simple. I just want to live like God lives. How does God live? Well, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to get away from me. He wants me to be in his life, and I need to treat other people the same way, especially my spouse. Now i got to ask you two important questions, and these are questions you have to answer in your heart. You ready? Question number one, are you a separator or a reconciler? Do you naturally push people away when there's conflict? Or do you pursue them to try to make things right? Now, you have to really be honest about that question because some people go, oh, that's just my personality. I always run from conflict. Well, that, God doesn't. That's not a God character trait. It is not a God character trait. God does not want you to run and separate yourself from conflict. Part of that, do you close doors or do you open them? Do you close doors or open them? Well, God is a reconciler. He opens doors. Some of you feel very separated from God this morning. And some, of, some of people might know the reason. Maybe your life has been a mess and you, you know that. Maybe you've shared that before, or maybe nobody in the room knows that. Maybe nobody knows you feel separated from God. In fact, you've done the religious thing quite well. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know that you feel separated from God. I want you to know that God is not a separator. And he is pursuing you right now. In fact, the reason your heart is pounding right this second is because God is going... Open up. And we think, if he comes in, he'll kill me. If he comes in, he's going to wipe me out. He's going to embarrass me. He's going to mess me up. He's so angry at me. And God's going, open up. I love you. I love you. So here's question number two. Are you willing to open a door for God to reconcile with you today?
Are you willing to open up a door for God to reconcile with you today? You know, I, I gave you the story of Hosea. In my mind, I could just picture, I could just picture Gomer in a room all by herself after having been with, you know, she was a prostitute, all these lovers, these violent, awful people, a pile of money on the side table. She feels empty. Knock on the door. It's your husband. I love you. No, go away. You don't understand. Gomer, I love you. Gomer, open the door. No, you can't make me open it. No, I can't make you open it. But please, Gomer, open the door. He said, I've already paid the guy. I've paid for your freedom. I can take you home now. By the way, I've got dinner ready on the table. Jesus paid for it. He already paid for it. And he invites you to his table right now to come. He invites you there because the door... He's knocking on the door, and the door only needs to be opened. How in the world do you go to church on a Sunday morning, two weeks before Easter, or three weeks, whatever it is, and preach about divorce? <laughs> well, you can't unless you remind people that God is pursuing you, not looking to divorce you. And when you see that, even those of you that have gone through the pain of divorce, whether it was your fault or not, know that God is at your door going, it's okay, love you. And those of you that have never divorced but you've wanted to all your life, it's already in your heart, God's, God's knocking on your door too. And those of us who've made every kind of mistake in our life, he's still pursuing us. I just want to tell you that's what it's about today. Would everyone stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'll come and stand at the front. If you, in just a minute, I'm going to open up the door for, for people to come and just pray with somebody at the front. And I'm not saying, hey, if you've been thinking about divorce, come down, or if, if you're guilty, or I'm not doing, I'm talking to all of us in the room. If you feel in any way separated from God for any reason whatsoever, or maybe there's somebody close to you that feels that way, and you just say, God, anoint me so I can share with them the truth about who you are, oh God. I want you to feel like these prayer team members are for you today. They're just going to be here to pray with you and say, let me help you through this. Let me help you through this. You know, this, the best door that opens may be you stepping out and coming and just saying to somebody, will you agree with me in prayer? That may be the best door you got. It doesn't matter who you go to. They're all going to pray the same thing with you. They're not here for advice. They're here for prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that right now as we, as we start to sing, I pray, Lord God, that you will 
open the door wide and let people see they can walk through it. Lord, I pray. I pray that the reconciler will be powerful in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. As they sing, would you step out? Come on, step out. Maybe there's somebody you want to pray for that you know that needs to be reconciled. Did you come? Come Jesus, pray. Step out and pray. Come on. Don't be afraid. Enthroned upon yes, the praises of our Step out. Step out. You're the king and you're the center of it all. Jesus, enthroned Don't upon the praises of our Some of your hearts are pounding right now and you just you just really need to come and stand here. Come on. Don't, don't leave this place with God knocking on heart. You're the king and you're the center of it all. Hear the knock. For every I'll see, every heart will know there is no name above the name of Jesus. Death could not hold. walking up here and praying with somebody, you could walk out of here free of some weight you've got on you. Would you do it? Would you do it? Would you do it? I want to tell you this. If you, if you go out and say, oh, I'll just handle this later, you may not have that opportunity. This is a moment God is here and His power is in this room. We're going to just sing just a moment more and give you a chance just to come. You're not, you're, all you're doing is saying, Jesus, I'm on your side. Would you just come and meet Him? Would you? You can get freedom today. No name above the name of Jesus. Death could not hold you down. No grave could keep you bound. All sin and sickness bound to the name of Jesus. Oh, the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our heart. Jesus, you're the King of Father, I want to thank you for letting us be in this place. 
Lord, I just really feel strongly that you're knocking on some hearts. And I pray, Lord God, before this day is over, the door would swing wide open. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. I